Mr. King, I asked. Jimmy King, of Trench United in 1967? Oh, would you do me the honour of signing this photograph I have of you, from those days? Good morning, good afternoon and good evening and welcome to you, wherever you are in the world. My name is James Schofield and I'm the creator of the stories in Behind the Bottom Line. You know, it's a funny thing, but when you look at books and films, a theme that often comes up is that of getting revenge on somebody who hurt you in your past. But how can you repay the people who did something good for you, maybe a long time ago? Find out in The Debt. It was the shape of his nose that I first recognised. I hadn't seen Jimmy King for 40 years, but that nose, created through the coming together of Jimmy's face and the head of some Sunderland defender in the last minutes of extra time of a League Cup semi-final match, was unmistakable. I noticed him while talking to some elderly ladies, friends of my mother-in-law's, in an old people's home. My mother-in-law had died a couple of weeks earlier, and I was visiting the home for the last time to collect her things and pay some bills. Because my face is familiar to many people, I'm a newsreader on the television, the head of the home, Mrs Marsden, asked if I would have tea with her friends. She said they would like it, so I agreed. The home had two pleasant rooms, connected by a door where the residents could be together. We were sitting at a table in the larger room, while in the other one a television was showing football, and a few elderly men were watching sleepily. I could hear the commentators' voices in the background, rising and falling as the ball travelled here and there. Would you turn the bloody telly up? A voice suddenly roared. I can't hear a thing they're saying. Where's the remote? My tea companions clucked like startled chickens at this interruption. And through the door, I could see the elderly men were resentful of the newcomer, disturbing their peaceful afternoon. He was wearing a rather dirty old dressing gown and walking slowly and painfully using a stick. One side of his body seemed very stiff and I guessed he must have had a stroke. Except for his nose, he was no longer the athlete I had worshipped as a child. Who's that gentleman? I asked one of the ladies, wanting to be sure I was right. I haven't seen him here before. Oh, that's Mr King. He's new. We don't like him at all. He shouts rude things at the television when the football is on. We've had to complain to Mrs Marsden about it. Oh, Jimmy, I thought. Why did this have to happen? I was the only girl in our family. From the time I was very little, my brothers always took me to watch our local football team, Trent United. When I started, we were in the third division, but when this story takes place, I was 16 and we'd just been promoted to the first division, as it was then called. We went to every game, home or away, and most of the family conversation was about the team. 
I was as enthusiastic as my brothers, but in 1967, when Jimmy King joined the club, I became obsessed. He came with a reputation. So-called experts would shake their heads wisely and say things like, Nice footwork, but that's not what it's all about, is it? He doesn't play for the team, does he? And there were the scandals. The Jaguar he crashed after a night out in London. The models he dated. The parties the police were called to. But I didn't care. What he did on the pitch was art, and somehow he turned our team, which was made up of solid but fairly ordinary professionals, into something special. The 1967-68 season was magical. With Jimmy there, everybody feared us, even the big clubs like Leeds, Liverpool or the Manchesters. My family was ecstatic, and after the games we'd get the players to sign programmes or photographs. But there was one player I could never speak to, even though I always carried his picture with me, and that was Jimmy. You see, though I was used to young men because of my brothers, I couldn't talk or even go near Jimmy. If he looked in my direction, I would tremble and turn away. Instead, I wrote articles about his playing for a school magazine. Then a teacher showed them to the editor of a local newspaper and he asked me for match reports from the point of view of a fan. Five shillings an article. It was good money for our family. But more importantly for me, it meant I could write about Jimmy, and I poured my heart into everything I wrote about him. One day, I was dropping off my article at the newspaper when the regular sports journalist shouted out to me, Heard about Jimmy? One of the Italian clubs wants him next season. I'm going down to the club now for the official announcement. Oh, it was hard. I couldn't let anyone know my heart was breaking, though it was. That night and many nights afterwards, I cried myself to sleep. I didn't want to write any more, but the editor wouldn't stop asking me. And finally, I started again, which was how my career as a journalist began. Later, I went into television and ended up as the anchor for the main news programme on the BBC. And I owed it all to Jimmy. I looked at him secretly as the conversation went on around me. It hadn't worked for him in Italy. He'd had a bad injury in his first game and never fully recovered. Soon he started drinking and causing trouble, and no club would take him. And now he sat in an old people's home where nobody knew anything about the star he'd once been. Sick, old, and waiting to die. But perhaps, I thought, there was still a small thing I could do for him. I stood up and walked over to his chair. Mr King, I asked, Jimmy King of Trench United in 1967, would you do me the honour of signing this photograph I have of you from those days? I opened my handbag and handed over the picture I'd carried all those years. It was quite battered, even though I'd looked after it carefully. Everybody, including Jimmy, looked at me in amazement. And then I sat down and we talked about the old days while I listened. 
the time the crowd at Manchester United stood and clapped him off the pitch at the end of a game. The goal he'd scored against the great Tottenham team of 67, which had won the FA Cup. The match at West Ham, when Bobby Moore asked for his shirt at the final whistle. Thank you, said Mrs Marsden when I finally left. You made Jimmy very happy. Nobody would have believed him if he'd told those stories himself. It'll be much easier for him now. I drove home. Everything settled? My husband asked me. Yes, I said. All debts paid. This story was first published by Business Spotlight in 2018. Now, maybe you know a film, uh, one of my favourite films, by a director, Wes Anderson, called Grand Budapest Hotel. And the film is based on the writings of an Austrian writer called Stefan Zweig, who lived from 1881 to 1942. And in the 20s and 30s, he was probably the most famous novelist in the world, though now I think probably people would think he's very, very old-fashioned. His story style is a little bit florid. He wrote a lot of short stories, and uh, I like them a lot, not so much for the writing, but more because they have really great central plots. And my story, The Debt, was inspired by a story of his called Die Spätbezahlte Schuld, and I wanted to retell his story. I want to rework his story uh, and put it into modern times. The original story is about a happily married middle-aged woman uh, who has gone off for a short holiday on her own after a very stressful time. And she writes to tell a friend of hers from from when she was a a child of an encounter with a run-down former theatre actor in a tiny village in the Tyrol. Now, as a teenager, she and her friend both had a huge crush on this actor. And uh, at a dramatic point in her life, she actually offered herself to him. She was ready to run away with this this uh, actor. And in the story, he rejects her advances, but he does it in a way without humiliating her. Or, and you have to remember, this story is set in the uh, early part of the 20th century, without destroying her reputation, which would have meant that she wouldn't have been able ultimately to have found herself a respectable husband. Now, in this tiny village up in the Tyrol, nobody knows anything about the former career of this um, old man, and they all treat him as a bit of a joke. And she recognises him, though he doesn't recognise her, she recognises him, and she finds a way to repay his kindness to her when she was a teenager by talking with him in front of everybody in the village about his triumphs on the stage, uh, with the result that afterwards everybody treats him with more respect. Now, when I first read this story, um, I really, really liked it. And I spent roughly five, six years trying to think of a way that I could retell it uh, in, a, in one of my stories. And the problem was always one of space. The original story is something like roughly 10,000 words, uh, and I only have a 1,000 words to try to to get across the same uh, idea. 
So I spent an awful lot of time trying to think, okay, what can I cut out of the original story? The first thing I decided was that he couldn't be an actor if I was going to update it, because simply because theatre actors don't have that kind of status anymore. Um, And so I felt that football could be a, a good substitute. I also decided that the, the sex angle was actually actually unnecessary. It was just enough that the teenager was obsessed with the man. I also felt that I couldn't just place it in a pub. Um, it had to be in a community where all the members of the community would be in regular contact. Uh, and that was when the idea of placing it in an old people's home came into my head, because that seemed to be uh, an I- ideal location where where the same people would be compelled to see each other every day. Another influence on the story was actually uh, my wife. She is a big ballet fan, and she's been going to the ballet since she was very young. And a couple of times I've been with her when she goes up to former ballet stars who are maybe sitting in the audience watching a performance um, and said something nice to them. And what has always struck me is how the, the people around the former star, uh, who didn't necessarily recognize them when they were just sitting there in the audience, then look at them with more respect. The character of Jimmy King is loosely based on George Best, who, when I was a child, was something of a god to me. And and if that surprises you, just look on YouTube, George Best, and see some of the clips of him playing football. Um, I always felt we only ever saw a part of his talent before he managed to destroy it with drink. George Best, of course, came up with an amazing quote. I spent a lot of money on booze, birds and fast cars. The rest I just squandered. Perhaps Jimmy King did the same. The phrase, where's the remote? Was actually something that my mother-in-law used to say all the time when she was watching television and um, kind of stuck in my head. The tricky thing for me about retelling the story in my way was that in the original, the woman is grateful to the old actor because he did nothing to damage her reputation, her moral reputation. And since I had removed the whole sex angle from my story, where was the gratitude going to come from? So that was why I turned it into Jimmy King had been the start of her writing career and Because of that, she got launched into becoming a successful journalist and then finally becoming a newsreader. And that's why she feels that she owes so much to Jimmy. One thing that I was pleased with in the story, which is different from the original story, was the idea that the woman carried a photograph of Jimmy all those years. So I mentioned it early on that that she liked to collect autographs of the players on signed on pictures, uh, but you don't hear anything about it afterwards, uh, but then that she had carried it all that time in her handbag. And it suggested that although she'd moved on from those days of being a teenager and having a crush on Jimmy, she still had this bit of unfinished business that she had never spoken to him. And by this scene in the nursing home, that she was finally able to get closure on it. So she did good for Jimmy, but she also did so for herself, which meant that at the end of the story she could say, all debts paid. (laughs) 
That's the end of today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the debt. Why don't you visit my website, www.behindthebottomline.com and give Behind the Bottom Line a rating or a review. And you can do that also on Apple Podcasts. Next week's story is called The Interview. A man wants to kill himself and ends up being interviewed for a rather unusual job. I hope you'll listen to it. So that's all from me. Thanks for listening. Take care and goodbye.